The Bible tells us that we're to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And uh, just a good reminder, that's how we're supposed to come to church. Uh, but there's something joyful in, in uh, not only entering in with praise on your lips, but praising God together. Uh, I like singing in the shower when nobody can hear me. Uh, sounds a lot better when you're drowning me out, though, <laughs> corporately. And so I want to just thank Mike and the team, worship teams, they led us in worship this morning. And uh, what a joyful time to um, give God praise and glory for all he's done for us. Let me mention something before we look at the word uh, together this morning, uh, and that is this coming Wednesday night, as many of you know, Nancy Lee, one of our missionaries, is formally retiring. She's not quitting. She's re- formally retiring, uh, but she'll be back um, overseas, uh, and she's going to share all about that and her plans this coming Wednesday night at 7 here at the church. So let me just invite you this Wednesday night at 7 to come and We'll get an update on Nancy, and we can pray with her. Her and Jody will be leaving out Friday. And uh, so <clears throat> they can stay a little while longer. There's not snow yet, but anyway. <clears throat> so keep that in mind. Now take your copy of God's Word and open them up with me uh, to the book of John, chapter 1. You may already be there. And John, chapter 1. <clears throat> If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you, page 1128. You're more than welcome to use that and follow along with us. I know Paul read for us this morning. I want to just reread verse 35 through 42 as we look at that and consider it together. The Bible says the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. These two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. First he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, who shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would use it and encourage us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I have noticed uh, the, the tendency in my own life, and I think we can all agree, that we, we tend to complicate things. We make them more difficult than they are to be. I don't know if that's just in general, um, but if you've ever put together furniture that come in a box with instructions, then you realize things really don't need to be this complicated. The different screws and the pictures don't match 15 different languages and you can't find English. And you just want a desk. That's all you want. And you should have paid the extra $50 to have the guy at the store put it together for you. <laughs> well, it just isn't those things that tend to, uh, tend to discourage us. I would say that. Uh, it's sanctification. Uh, but it happens that way in the Christian faith. And in church, 
and the function of the church in ministry, we tend to make things difficult and hard, and uh, and we tend to add to uh, um, all sorts of programs and plans to to do things to to really prosper or to see the gospel go forward. And some of that is necessary, and there's many books in the library and online. You can find them. We don't have bookstores anymore, but. You can find countless books on discipleship and conversion and missions, and all of those books are are meant to help you do the work more easily. But as you wade through them, they all seem to contradict each other or give you a different route to take, and you kind of left at the end of the day, what do we do? Uh, In fact, I think as we look at uh, the mission God has given the church and spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, we wonder to ourselves, how in the world will it ever get done? How will the job be accomplished? And so when we come to a story like this and the calling of the disciples in uh, verse 35 all the way through the end of the chapter, uh, the calling of these five men, it is refreshing to be reminded of the simplicity of the work of God. The simplicity of how God works and moves, how he is growing his kingdom and how people respond to the gospel is, I think, something that we need to capture Some of you know the challenge of keeping things simple when you teach your children Bible stories, don't you? How do you explain uh, Samson and David and Goliath and all of these things like that? And yet these truths are simple. They're plain. They're meant for us to grasp and understand, to live out. And the Bible gives us colorful examples of, of God's word and his truth played out in the lives of people, how God interacts with them so that we might learn something, so that we might grasp it for ourselves. We're not just left with statement of facts. We can see with our own eyes the, uh, the, the joy and the peace and the belonging and all the other things that the gospel promises us. I think it is wise of course god did it this way it is wise but i think it is wise for us to understand when we look at this first part or the latter part of chapter number one verse 35 through 42 that we emphasize here the simplicity of god's work in the lives of these men that we see god's work in him bringing people to himself and people following Jesus and becoming disciples that, that the gospel, though there's many intricate details and there's, there's all sorts of awesome truths and statement of facts that, that at the end of the day, it's that simple sharing and receiving that John wants us to grasp. You and I feel that at times when maybe you've shared the gospel with someone and you went home and be like, ah, oh, I forgot to say this and I forgot to say that and forgot to say this and yet we come here and see God's plan and God's ways are much more simple than many times ours. Well I want to look at it this way this morning with you in verse 35 through 42 as we consider the simplicity of being a disciple and making disciples and through it I will give you three headings to to kind of guide us through these verses. One that is the Uh, A simple message of John the Baptist, a simple pursuit of the disciples, and a searching brother. A simple message, a single pursuit, I'm sorry, and a searching brother. Notice with me verse 35 this morning, verse 36. Now the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said... 
Behold the Lamb of God. Now, those of you who have been going through the study of the the Gospel of John with us uh, are reminded of the introduction, verses 1 through 18, where the writer wants us to see the glory of Christ, who he is, what he's come to do. He's, He's the light of the world. He is the one who gives life and the revelation of God. He is described for us as the very imprint, the, the, the word which has become flesh. And all of the other means that he wants us to understand of the gospel. And then we come and we've been considering the ministry of John the Baptist and how he ministered and proclaimed not only the way he ministered, but what he ministered last week as we considered him being the Lamb of God, which take away the sins of the world. And of course, you and I and our greatest need and greatest problem is that, that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the answer to that, the help to that is found in Jesus Christ. It's still the same this week too, might I add. And with that, we come to the next day or the day after he he has a series of days in the first chapter. And we come to the next day as... As John is preaching, he's with two of his disciples that are standing there. There's people who've attached themselves to him as recognizing that he was a prophet sent from God, that he was preaching God's word. And and so they they come along and they've attached themselves to him to be his student. It's what a disciple is, right? It's It's someone who's come along to learn. And they believed his message about repentance and being prepared for the coming of the Messiah and and here you see as they're talking, maybe they're in conversation with John, maybe, maybe they're standing near enough to him to understand or hear this, and Jesus walks by, evidently the scene you see here, and John says, look, look, behold, see for yourselves, look over there, pay attention is what he's saying here as he begins this in verse 36, behold the Lamb of God. And John is one who was constantly pointing away from himself. That's strange in a world where we, we have a focus on self. We even have pictures that we name selfies where we don't even need other people to hold the camera. We just do them ourselves. By the way, show of hands, how many of you have done that this week? One or two of you, see? Got you a selfie in there. This is, you should repent, believe the gospel. <laughs> just kidding. But we live in a time in in our society and and part of our trend is finding that which is trending. Having social media and accounts which all function, they thrive off how many likes you can get, how, how how you can spread your platforms and all the things that are like that. Recognition. You know, what you find in this simplicity of John the Baptist, what you find, in, I think, in the example for us is something completely different. Here's a man who is constantly pointing away from himself. He is not trying to take the stage. He is not trying to, to be the center of attention. He's not trying to build up or, or broaden his ministry. He is simply doing what God called him to do, and that is point people to Jesus Christ. To preach and to teach and to, to tell people to anticipate there is one who is coming. He's now among you, though you don't know him. He it is who I am not worthy to untie his shoes. It is here 
the Lamb of God. And so he tells his own disciples the same thing he told the multitude. There he is. There's the Lamb of God. Look, behold him, see him, understand who he is. The, the one I've been pointing to, my whole purpose, is right in front of us. Now, wouldn't you have liked to have been there? And I wish John would have gave us more in his own thought process in, the pro, in, in, in this account. He doesn't do that. Uh, but you would like to wonder how the switch went in his mind as he heard John the Baptist saying, there he is. But that's the simple message which we are to preach. That's a simple message we need to hear. It's not about self-exaltation. God has not called you as a Christian to call people to yourself, to win them to yourself, to make uh, some kind of following in denominations or Christian cultures or organizations. He's not called us to to even promote a, a church name. The call of the Christian, the call of John the Baptist is the same. And if you're going to do good for anyone in your family or anyone in the culture, anyone in this room, then, then you must point people or you must yourself turn and see and behold Jesus Christ. That's what John's ministry was. You see back earlier, he does this in his emphasis in verse 32. <clears throat> Or 29 through 32, as he says, Behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Of whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. The message of John the Baptist is one of preparation, coming Messiah. It is one of calling people to repent from their sins and to, uh, to anticipate, look towards this coming one. And here Jesus comes on the scene and he, he takes all of their attention, all of their focus. And he says, that's where your focus ought to be. Now, what I've done is just external. What I've done is just brought to your mind the reality of your sin. But what Jesus is coming to do is to purge you from those sins through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. That's what you find in verse number 33, bringing back to our minds uh, the word of Ezekiel. I know it's probably been some time since you've been in the book of Ezekiel. I'm reading it in my daily reading. Chapter 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols, which I cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's telling the same thing to his disciples as he tells to the multitude. Look and see the Lamb of God. And that is the Christian message. Look and see. Look and see him, not me. Look and see him and not, and not any other thing that we might draw men to. Now, I want to, I want to just be candid with you just for a moment, if I can. There was a moment in my life I was at a very, I don't know, very trying place. Have you ever been there? I couldn't say I was depressed. I wasn't depressed. I couldn't say I was discouraged. I wasn't discouraged. I was somewhere in the blah stage of my life. 
I went to a series of meetings, and as I was at that series of meetings, the preacher got up as a very gifted preacher. I was very blessed by him in the past, and he got up and he began preaching on John 15. I love John 15. And as he began preaching, his illustrations were very illustrious. And his passion was very heated, very passionate man. His examples and his, his points were very action-oriented. All the things they teach you in school to do and be. He was very captivating in a lot of ways. But at the end, as the altar began getting filled with people coming forward, men coming forward, I sat there so troubled in my soul because all I had at that moment was a look at myself and what I had to do and never a look and glimpse at Christ. And I know I've been guilty of the same thing. I've preached and taught in ways of things that were to do and, and, and failed to, to bring people to see that revelation and reality of who Jesus is. The thing you need the most is not me or my answers or my wisdom or my humor, which all of those things are below par if you want to know. But what you need the most is Jesus Christ. What you need the most is to see him, set your affection and attention and focus on him. That is the gospel message. That is the message you carry out as Christians to a lost world. Not look how great I am, but look how great Jesus is. Not look at all the answers I have, but look at Jesus who is the answer to all the problems you have. That's what John the Baptist did. You know, an empty well mocks a thirsty man. Like a mirage in the desert. But so also a, Christ, a Christless sermon deceives its hearers, offering help without power, a cure without medicine, rain without clouds, and work without hope. You and I must come back to that simplicity of the message of the gospel. Look and behold, see Christ for who he is. That is John's message. Why should we do this? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't it? Earlier on in chapter 1, you could turn back with me. Verse number 14 through 18. And he says, it's the word which become flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Of course, John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received what? Because looking to Christ instead of looking to the law, looking to Christ instead of looking to a standard you cannot meet, is looking to God's grace upon grace. It's, it's a multiplied, it's an overwhelming idea that you see in verse number 16. It is from him, from Christ, that you and I might receive grace upon grace. That's a struggle with the human heart. How do we find favor with God? How do we get all this, uh, and how do we get to a place where we can make him move uh, on our account? How can we... We twist his arm enough or, or do the right thing in the right way to where he will fix problems or work or give us comfort or whatever it else we're trying to find from God. Well, the source is found in Christ. 
It is in Christ where favor is extended. It is in Christ where it's poured out, lavished upon us, grace upon grace. He goes on and says, for the law given through Moses, that's true, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. You see, he points us to Christ because it is in Christ that we receive that grace and fullness that you and I most desperately need. Now that's what he tells John's followers and what they needed to hear. Look to Jesus. Verse number 36. Behold, consider him the Lamb of God. In case you were just wondering if it was something that John the Baptist did, it was something that the rest of Paul did and the rest of the apostles as he preached Christ crucified and him only. You see, that is what brings us in. That is the gospel message. Look and consider, contemplate, come to Jesus. Now the disciples heard this, and so my second point, not only the simplicity of his message, but I want us to notice the single pursuit of the disciples, verse 37. These two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them, following, and he said to them, Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, in our, very, in our introduction of John, he reminds us of this truth that Jesus, the light, has come into the world. The world didn't know him. The world was made by him. They didn't know him. He came to his own people. His own people didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God. And here you see this kind of played out. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this disciple who heard the news about Jesus and turns and follows him. That's what it looks like. There's several actions in this, in this passage that we just read. The first of which is they heard. They heard him say this. They heard John the Baptist's message. Where does faith come from? It comes from hearing, doesn't it? It is having open ears. It's to hear what the message is saying. It's to, to hear something of the truth. You can't believe in him if you've never heard, the Bible says. And so here we see the disciples heard this and they, and they followed after. John spoke to them directly and clearly, not in, in a subliminal message, not in some secret code where, where they had to go get five books and they had to decipher what John was saying. No, he was saying, look, there's the answer, the one you've been waiting on. The guy I've been preaching about all this time is found in this man, and they heard that. Well, faith is developed in our hearts that way as well, isn't it? As we hear the gospel preached, as we hear the news about Jesus Christ, we have to hear. I wonder how often we have prayed oddly for lost people in our own churches, in our own families, as if God would skip this part in their conversion and they would just be saved. For some of us who are a little backwards and awkwards, we might appreciate that because we, we don't know if we want to say anything because we don't know how to say it. And yet God never skips this. And faith cometh by hearing. They must hear the gospel. 
I think for me in my own life, as I was contemplating this, how it instructs me to pray for those and, and to live around those who don't know Christ. As a Christian, I think we ought to pray that we're to work and share the gospel with them, but pray for those who have already heard the gospel. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but how many of you have children or grandchildren that are away from the Lord? They live miles and miles away from here, out of your control, out of your reach, and yet there they are. They've heard the gospel. Dear friends, I would ask you just continue to pray that what they heard would take root. You never know how long the gospel message may lay dormant in their heart before God awakens it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are living testimonies to that this morning. Pray that what they've heard would, would, would germinate and bring life, and bring faith that they may trust Christ. But I would also encourage you, and, and as it's encouraged me, that we pray for those who are outside of Christ, for a family that's far off, that God would bring someone into their life that would point them to Jesus. Just simply do what John the Baptist did and say, look and behold, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so we might pray that what they've heard may take root. We might pray that some, and by the way, as we pray that, we may be that one to go speak the word of truth to them. But I would say thirdly, it reminds me as they heard the gospel that we might pray that they would have open ears to listen. For many people hear it. Many of you heard it over and over. I don't know you're standing before God. I don't know where you're at right now in your spiritual journey. I know many of you heard it over and over, but you've not heard it. You've not listened. You've went about still trying to do your own thing. You've went about just kind of taking it in and letting it go and, and just trying to go about life all, all on your own. What John is saying here is an example of those who heard the message, not just in the hearing of their ears, not just the words and the thoughts that were saying. They heard it in such a way to where they moved, they followed. So not only did they hear, they followed after him. Now, verse 38 seems a little bit, it could seem a bit creepy, couldn't it? Years ago, after 9-11, I went to New York City with my cousin and we were walking it was dark we were in manhattan i don't know exactly where we're from tennessee and uh <laughs> you think it's obvious now you should have known me then but anyway um i i just kept looking back behind me the whole time i felt like i was going to be a statistic i could buy i i went to new york uh city shirt after that you know after i got mugged i guess because there was just something with the eerie thought of somebody following you. Well, that's not what's here, of course, you know. They followed him. Now, we could look at that as they just simply started walking behind them. But what you see is a transition. Students of John the Baptist, those who had come to appreciate and, and, and benefit from the message of John the Baptist, they, they took it to heart in such a way that when John pointed out Jesus, that they not only said, that is awesome, he's here. They said, let's go find him. Let's go see him. Let's go know him for ourselves. 
Really, the Christian life is a journey of following Jesus, isn't it? It is a call to, to leave the, the comforts and, and the old way of life and to follow after him, that they may know him, that they may see him for who he is. Jesus turns around. Of course, he knew that they were there. We see that later on of his knowledge. And he says, what are you seeking? Well, there's quite a few comical ways that that's been answered, I think, in commentaries like John and uh, it's believed to be John and Andrew here speaking. And and they were like dumbfounded being confronted with a question. They just kind of like, well, we, we don't know where you live. So they come with the first thing that come to their mind. Peter wasn't there yet to kind of direct the conversation. So they didn't have their spokesman. Matthew Henry has a uh, just an encouraging take on this he says this was not a reprimand from jesus for their boldness in intruding into his company that he came to seek us he that came to seek us never checked any for seeking him but on the contrary it is a kind invitation of his acquaintance whom he saw bashful and modest come what have you to say to me what is your petition what is your request? Well, Jesus is treating the disciples. He's welcoming them. You see that in verse 39, don't you? As they said, where do you live? As one commentator says, this is as to say, we're following you. We're in the, where are you taking us? Where are we going? You ever considered Jesus following Jesus, the Christian life like that? We have our own plans, our own agendas, and rather just saying, God, where are we going? Because I'm following you. That is what you see here modeled in the lives of these believers. And of course Jesus accepting them. Come and you will see. And no greater words are given to us than that of Jesus receiving sinners to himself. Come and see. You know he still says that to us. And do you know the Christian life is not just in words but in experience. It is meant to be lived out. And we know as we give testimony to the grace of God and the joy of his goodness in our lives that words fail to express the joy and the fullness that we have received from him. It's just one of those things that you just got to experience for yourself. Here, they're meant to come, see for themselves who he is. Not to stay apart and stay off and to stay debating, but come and see him. Whom they've been waiting for. But notice also in this, not only did they see for themselves, they followed and they heard, they also stayed. Verse 39, he says, and he said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, there's, I think, more implied here than just simply they stayed the evening with him. Maybe he had a fire, and who knows if they roasted fish, they did that sort of thing. I think this implies that they stayed with him in the sense of their commitment of following Jesus. From this day forward, we will find them in the Gospel of John with him. Where he goes, they will go. They stayed with him in their commitment and their following after Reminds us of the perseverance of the saints, which will be tested throughout the disciples' lives. It's tested throughout our lives. Not only did they come, but they stayed. 
Well, I think there's something for us to appreciate in this simple illustration. And simply they heard and they followed. They heard and they followed. I know we got discipleship and we make it very, very complicated many times. Sometimes we need to kind of have sort of rhythms and, and plans to do things. But, but in the, the long run of things, how God is building his kingdom is, is by simply people hearing and them following. We see no miracles, no sermon by Jesus, just simply the word of another man about Jesus and the disciples' response of receiving and following after. I think God gave it to us that way to remind us of sometimes our, our ability, I don't know if it's arrogance, but our ability to say, well, that's good for them. But you know, we're modern people. We have cell phones. They didn't. We text and tweet and all the other stuff that we do. We got modern problems. We got modern solutions. And yet the simplicity of this is something that you and I need to grasp. This is the way God is working through simply hearing the gospel message and through that receiving, just following. And sometimes maybe in our own life we wonder could I ever be forgiven could I ever be saved could Christ ever receive me and simply you see the answer here don't you you're the message this is the one you're to look to this is the one who is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world look to him and follow him but I want you to notice also he says with this not only they follow but you find this example in Andrew that Paul pointed out as he uh, read this morning that he went searching for his brother that's naturally what you do when you have good news when you find something joyful I was almost going to say some of you are not that way with fishing spots because I've just you've just not shared them with me, I guess. I don't know what it is. Keeping that to yourself. Hopefully you don't do the gospel that way though. Oh church, if we would we would see the joy of this pattern. That of what we've come to know of him, what we find when we find him is is not just the solution we've been looking for, but but our brothers. Our childrens, our grandchildrens, our neighbors, the, the people down the road, the, the people we like, and even the people we don't like. I think you see that in Andrew's example. Notice as he goes on, one of the two heard John speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew Simon, Peter's brother. The other one, scholars believe to be John, the, the apostle who wrote the gospel here. He never refers to himself. Uh, uh, as a sense of modesty, I, I think other people have different thoughts about that. But nevertheless, he first found his own brother, Simon. Some think that this is in, in finding where Jesus was going. He goes and goes get Peter and brings Peter with him that evening. That may be the tone here. Others suggest this may be the next day. I, I don't think that's right. But nevertheless, verse 41, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. You remember how beautiful the feet of them who bring good news 
good tidings of the news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have someone in your life that you think of as much like Andrew in bringing you to Christ. Pointing you the way and reminding you of what they've found. We found the Messiah. And he says, come and I'll show you. Now it is true that God has done remarkable things in church history. I mean, you just go to Pentecost and 3,000 people saved in one, one preaching event one day. That's amazing, isn't it? Everybody ought to go, yeah, that's pretty good. 5,000, the healing of a lame man, the next time you see in the book of Acts. We've seen throughout church history great awakenings and, and crusades where God brings many people into the kingdom of God. Rejoice in that. We pray for that. We ought to pray for that as a church. But don't discount the common practice that you find here in this passage of simply someone who has found Christ and who is seeking others that they may bring them to him. Christian, you and I are called to do that. That is how God normally works. Inviting, bringing people to Christ. Now there's different ways we might do that. We do that through prayer. As we pray for others, we do that through inviting them to church where the gospel would be preached. We do that through witnessing to them and sharing the word with them. Sometimes sharing a sermon with them. We do that through bringing them to an event where we know the gospel will be shared. In the front of my Bible, I have a name of a young man who uh, was made known to me from the first sportsman's banquet event that we held down in Wells when I first got here four years ago. And there it sits the whole time. I don't remember much of what the man said other than the, 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 the ordeal was great, the, the seminars was awesome, fantastic, food was great. We could do without the preaching, though. And so I've kept it in the front of my Bible. I've, I've meant to throw it away many times, you know, as you do. You build up papers in your Bibles. But I've kept it there as a reminder to pray for that young man, but also a reminder to take advantage of every moment, every opportunity God gives me and sharing the gospel. Because that's how God works. That they may hear. And that they may follow. And that those who follow may search and bring others to Christ. <clears throat> well, church, I want to encourage you that that is what we're called to do. And I don't know who it is in your life. I don't know who it is in your family. I don't know who it is in your little area. But, but surely there's someone that you can share the message of Christ with. Someone you can point to Jesus as the answer. I want to say this just in closing. My clock is off up here, so um, it's an hour behind, so I think we're still early. <laughs> Don't you like when Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus gives him a new name? How often we've tried to fix people. Ed, have you ever tried to fix anybody? Been successful? Oh, but what Jesus does is much better than what you and I can do. 
That's why we bring them to Christ. That's why we pray. That's why we encourage. That's why we point. Because Christ is the one who makes a difference. Well, let me just close with this. Why does he tell us the stories of these events? They're omitted in the other Gospels. Well, I think that they serve as an example for us. A reminder that upon hearing the message of Christ, that we, you and I, might follow suit. That when the first recipients of the Gospel of John began reading this and telling it to one another, that they they may say, no, that's exactly what happened to me, and that's exactly what I must be doing. I think in that sense it is an example for us. It is also a trustworthy argument. I'm saying what I am telling you about Jesus is not just my experience, but Peter was there, he saw it, Andrew saw it, and of course, and the other people along the way, he's saying that this is something we have found when we come to find who Jesus is. But thirdly, I think he is saying this to encourage us who may be a little backwards and distracted. That this is how God builds his kingdom. One person sharing one message to someone else. I pray that we would be faithful. Father, we thank you for this time we gather together this morning. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, even as we come and consider this, um, we pray that you would help us, not just our families of children and grandchildren far off, as I see many faces and know their families. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be faithful there, but also here in the place you've placed us, planted us. Help us to be consistent and faithful, pointing people to Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning, and surely with all that are here, there's one that don't know you. Lord, I pray even this morning that they will see Jesus. The words that's been said and songs that's been sung and that they would even now say, that's, the, that's where I'm going. That's who I'm looking to. That's That's who I'm trusting. We'll give you the glory for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.